as I said, my name is Liam, one of the pastors, and if you don't know this about me, I love breakfast food. It is, it is my favorite, favorite meal of the day. If you're ever wondering, how can I manipulate Pastor Lee into doing something I want him to do, start with taking me to breakfast. Somewhere good, okay? Somewhere good. Now, the reason I say that, if you look at this picture, right, the bacon and eggs, that's kind of the, the heart of every good breakfast. In this picture, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. <laughs> In bacon and eggs, the chicken is involved, and the pig is committed. And that is what we're going to get into today. There's a huge difference between being involved and being committed. <laughs> you got my wife just cracking up. I, <laughs> I should have warned her about that one, I guess. So for the chicken, for that picture, right, for the, for the eggs, the chicken, that's just what the chicken does, right? Goes, lays the eggs, keeps going. In order for the pig to provide for this breakfast, the pig has to be inconvenienced and has to sacrifice. And listen, that is true of every commitment, every commitment you have in your life. When you think about, when you think about, let's see, our, our favorite sports team, right? We're not going to talk about what happened in the Super Bowl because people are still kind of... But the good news is that baseball season's about to start, so, and that's really what's important in sports is baseball. But what happens as fans, right, for those of us that are fans, if we're not playing professional sports, we're involved. We go to the game. We keep up with things. We have a good time. But we're not the ones waking up at 5 a.m. We're not the ones traveling six months out of the year being committed to that team. If we go to see a baseball game and one team's winning by 10 runs in the seventh inning, then I can grab my kids and be like, all right, uh, you know what? We're not going to stay for the rest. It's, it's late. The game's already a blowout. We're going to go. The players don't get to do that. When you're involved, it's easy to back out. At any point, you can say, you know what? I, I think I'm done, so I'm just going to go home. When you're committed, backing out is not even an option. You're in it for the long haul, and you're, you, know, you know what? Whatever it takes, I'm going to see this through. Whatever it takes, I'm going to see this through. The same thing is very true if you want a healthy marriage. If you want a healthy marriage, guess what? Being involved is not good enough. It's not good enough. There's a level of commitment. And when you get to that point, if, if you're standing on your wedding day and you're thinking to yourself, I want to have a healthy, God-honoring marriage, then here are things you need to know. Those of you who are already married know this. If you're not, understand this now. You will be inconvenienced and you will have to sacrifice. If you want a healthy, God-honoring marriage, those things are requirements. They're not optional. Now, if you don't want a healthy, God-honoring marriage, you can be involved, get excited about the wedding day, and then be like, you know what? We'll just kind of let the rest of it kind of take care of itself. But if you're going to be committed, you have to have those things. You have to know that sacrifice is going to come. You have to know that you're going to be inconvenienced, and you're going to have to be okay with that. That's the reality of it. Our faith is the exact same way. Because a lot of times, too many of us are, we're involved with Jesus, but we're not committed. Right? So when we're involved, you know what? If, we, if you're involved with church, if you're involved with Jesus, coming one Sunday a month is like, that's, that's good enough. But if you're committed to Christ and to his kingdom and to your faith, then what that means is that you are all in. And yes, sometimes it's inconvenient. 
to wake up early on a Sunday morning. Sometimes you have to sacrifice. If the kids are going crazy or you had a late night the night before, there are things that have to happen. And this is not just about church attendance, right? This is about what Christ has done for us. This is about being committed because he was committed to us. Jesus wasn't just involved. One of the great things about the Bible reading plan that we can kind of go through, and as you see this, you'll see that Jesus is not an involved type of guy. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing when it comes to our faith in Christ. When we give our life to him, we give our everything that we have and trust that his work on the cross is enough that we need for the rest of our lives. We are committed to that. It's an all or nothing type thing. A couple weeks ago when Pastor Matt was preaching in Exodus chapter 12, talking about the Passover and the angel of death came, and those who had the blood of the lamb on their door, their firstborn children survived. And so we're getting to the point where Pharaoh finally allows him to come out of Egypt. And God wants him to celebrate the Passover with a meal. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one on the bottom of the seat in front of you. This will be in page, on page 46 if you have one of those. And so the Passover has come, and so the Israelites are starting to leave, right? They had been in slavery for 430 years. 430 years, that's a long time. And, this, and before that, God had promised them that they would be taken to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey that would be their land and God would be their people. And so as we get to the Passover, God wants them to have this meal. So we're going to start in verse 43, chapter 12, verse 43. And so for now, we're going to read 43 to 51. Then later, we're going to get into the beginning of chapter 13. Verse 43, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Now, first glance at this, it can almost seem as though God is being discriminatory. Like, why is there this setup where God's saying the foreigners cannot eat of it, but then maybe if they're, oh, if they're circumcised, then they can. What's happening here is God's just not, God's not being picky. Back in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, God has established a covenant with the people of Israel. I will be your God, you will be my people. And so what that was, the result of that was those who came into the covenant were making a commitment. I am committed to God and God is committed to them. And so all the people that have come out, not everybody's part of this covenant community. Earlier in chapter 12, it talked about whenever a Pharaoh told the Israelites, you can go, just get out of here. Other people who were enslaved by the Egyptians, who were not Israelites, saw their opportunity to leave. Like, hey, the Israelites are going, how about we just kind of like slide into this group, and then we can get out of here too. 
So when God calls them to celebrate the Passover meal, it's not just Israelites that are there. It's people from other nationalities, from other races. And so what God is saying is, I have this covenant with these people. So if you're not part of this covenant, you're not going to be part of the Passover meal. But then what God does, which is so amazing, he does not say you're excluded forever. He says, you can come in. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to have this commitment. Right? We talk about this commitment of being, uh, of, of sacrificing, of being inconvenienced. The males here had to sacrifice, right? If you've got to be circumcised to be part of this covenant community, that's a, that's a sacrifice. And so what they were doing, the equivalent of that today would be those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. And that's what it was for this. They were saying, you can be part of this if your commitment to God and God will be your people. And so the circumcision itself was just a symbol. It's when we have baptism, baptism does not save anyone. Baptism is a symbol that you have placed your faith in Christ. And so God is welcoming anybody who wants to be part of that. The reason he starts off with saying the foreigners can't eat because he needs to draw a line to let them know, like, if you're going to be part of this, it requires a commitment. This is not just, this isn't an involvement. This is a commitment. And if God's going to commit to them, then they've got to do the same thing. They've got to be part of that covenant community. And in verse 47, verse 47, we're going to, we're going to sit here for a little bit because of the importance of this. God says, the whole community of Israel must celebrate it. The whole community of Israel. There's so much that comes with this. So one, he wants people to celebrate together. He wants people to celebrate together because he rescued them together. The same way that Christ's death and resurrection is available to everyone, right? That's why we come on Sunday morning. That's why we come to celebrate. But God wanted the whole community to celebrate. And he does not say, hey, if you're not busy on this day, I would love for you guys to come together. This, again, this is not optional. If they're part of this covenant community, God is telling them they have to come together and celebrate this as a whole. They're rescued together. There are people together. And so when they come together to celebrate that, it is a reminder of what God has done for them. Because this, this overarching picture of God's work of salvation is for everyone. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings, like this morning. When we come here for church, we're not gathering just because some of our friends are here. And that's great that your friends are here. That's, that's a wonderful thing. But what we're doing at the heart of it where the posture we need to have is we come here acknowledging that we need Jesus. Acknowledging we don't have it all together. That everything's not great. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. As pastors, it is very comforting for us to see you guys on Sunday morning. And it's not just like, hey, like it's good to see the chairs being full. As pastors, we keenly understand that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so when we see people here on Sunday morning, it reminds us we're not the only ones. And we are grateful for that. Because listen, if you think for a second that, that myself or Matt or Kyle have it all together, yeah, that's, that's wrong. You can ask Janice. She'll tell you pretty quick that that's not something that... But, and so we come on Sunday morning because it's good together as a group and understand we all need Christ. We need the gospel every week. Listen, the Bible hasn't changed in 2,000 years, right? But we still come every Sunday. We still preach the gospel because there's still a need for that every single day. That's why I'm excited about what Matt's going to be talking about next week for the growth workshop. Because the gospel is for everyday life. It's not just, listen, we commit our lives to Jesus 
And then we just kind of hope for the best as it goes from there. That's not part of it. He wants us to come together. He wants us to celebrate this time. And the reason we do that is because we do have a deep need for a Savior. We are all sinners that need to be rescued. Now, what will happen sometimes is, is there's this idea of, of solo Christianity, right? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Okay, and Matt and I were talking about this. An analogy was like, yeah, you also don't have to turn on your headlights when you drive at night, but it's still a pretty good idea to do that. And it's very dangerous if you don't. The same thing in trying to live out your Christian faith by yourself. It's extremely dangerous. There is no point in the Bible where God instructs us to go it alone. That's never an option. That's never a choice. And so what happens, we, we kind of tend to say, you know what? I don't have to go to church because I can, hear, uh, I can hear preaching online. I can download a CD and listen to that music in my car, so that's worshiping. And there, does, there needs to be times when you are doing those things in private, when you're reading God's Word like we talked about with the Bible plan. But we have to come together. That's God's instruction. We have to come together. The whole community of Israel was come together. And so now that refers to us, to those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, that he wants us to come together. So this idea of solo Christianity, there's no level of commitment with that. That's an involved type of attitude because what that says is I can back out. I can back out. I don't really have to get in. I don't really have to be committed to my faith, committed to what God has called me to. Because if you read all throughout Scripture, there are so many verses that says, do this for one another, encourage one another, help one another. If your Christianity is solo, then you, you cannot follow through with what God has for you. It's not possible. Another way we do that is with our small groups. This week, so my wife and I lead a small group on Thursday night. And so just as we're sitting and having our prayer time, just listening to the things that people in our group are going through. And the, I mean, it's just so evident how much we need each other. It's so evident how much we need each other. When we're honest about the things that are happening, because as we're talking about the things we're having our prayer request time, the things that people in our group are talking about, they're not quick fix things. They're things that honestly, unless there is supernatural help from Christ to transform our lives, we're not going to make it because it's just too much. They're not quick fix things. That's why we need each other. We need to be in prayer together. That's why it's so important for the community to come together. And I talk about that for Sunday mornings as well. And this is not, please don't take this as trying to guilt you into coming to church because the Bible is not about that. Jesus is not about guilting you into coming to church. And neither are we. But there is a need for that because it helps us see that we need a Savior. And it helps us see, you know what, I'm not the only one. There, there is strength in numbers, even if it's like numbers were like, man, like, yeah, sometimes we're screw-ups. And it's great to know that, that Christ is there and has redeemed all of that. But I, I'm not the only one that, that struggles with some things. All of you, right? Like, we're all coming together because we understand that we have this need for Christ. When life is hard, we're not the only one going through that. That is one of Satan's greatest tricks is to try and isolate us, especially as believers, because if we're isolated, we convince ourselves, you know what, I'm the only one who's struggling with this. I'm the only one who's got this th that hard. Nobody else is going through this, so I can't talk to anybody else. When in the reality, if we come on Sundays and if we come to our small groups, we find that everybody's going through something. 
Everybody is going through something. There's not one person in here where life is just completely perfect 100% of the time. Not one of us. And I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you and say that that's possible. Because it's not. That is why we need each other. That's why we have to be in community together. This idea of solo Christianity does not work. And it was never intended to. God never intended that to be the thing. Now, there are sometimes we have to miss church, right? Sometimes people are sick or out of town. We have a business trip, right? The kids are playing sports. There are moments where we just have to miss. Now, I do want to speak to that as well, though, because a lot of times when we give that kind of statement, we say, you know what? This, this is my, that makes this my, my off Sunday. I don't have to worry about anything on Sunday morning. And so we continue to deceive ourselves further when we do that, because what we're saying is, I, you know, this Sunday I don't have a need for Jesus. Maybe I'll pick it up again next Sunday. But here's the deal. On Sunday morning, if you're traveling out of town for business or your kids have sports games or, or whatever reason you have, you can still come together with people. You can still open your Bible that morning. You can still sing those songs that morning. That's a perfect time to do that, knowing that people everywhere are meeting together. So being out of town is not an excuse for not worshiping God during that time. Sunday's a scheduled time where, where we all come together. So even if you're out of town, you can still do those things. Right? Think, think about the impact. If, you, if you're parents and your kids are doing travel ball or, or, or whatever sport they play, think about the impact it has. If you wake up on Sunday morning, yeah, we can't be at church today, but as a family, we're going to open our Bible. We're going to maybe sing some songs together. Think about the impact that that has. And so it's still this whole idea of us being in community together and this idea that we need to have a designated time where we come together and where we give glory to God. So if you're out of town, you can still do those types of things. Now, the next thing it switches to here in the book of Exodus, we need to have that celebration. We need to come together as a community. We also need to understand why, and we need to be able to explain to other people why we do that. And so I was thinking of a, of a story for this. When I was in high school, I went to a Catholic high school in Louisiana. I did not grow up in the Catholic church, so I did not know much about it. But for holidays and everything, we would have a mass at the school. And I remember one day, it was Ash Wednesday, and I'm sitting on the row, and like some of, some of my friends like go up and get the ashes on their forehead. And so this guy sits back down next to me, and I'm like, why, why, why are you doing that? He's like, I don't know. I've just done it all my life. Like, he could, he could not explain. And I know there were people there that could explain, right? But this friend who was, at that point, we were seniors in high school, so about 17 or 18 years old, he had been doing that his entire life but could not explain to you at all why he was doing that. Not at all. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to see the importance of being able to explain why we're doing these things and the importance of passing that on to the next generation. We're going to be in chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. 
For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. There are so many, so many things in this. So many things in this. The first thing I want to start with is I hope that we see how beautiful this command is that God's giving the people. They've been in slavery for 430 years. And if you haven't read up to that point, let me, let me tell you, they weren't in slavery just because it just kind of worked out that way. Their sin was what put them into slavery. Their continued disobedience to God, God continued to offer forgiveness and patience, and they continued to basically spit in God's face. And so they end up in slavery for 430 years. And so here's how God said he wants to explain it to them, right? He says, to commemorate this day. And he said in verse 8, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. What he doesn't say is he doesn't say, hey, first we need to talk about the 500 plus years of sin that you've been doing. He says, no, he says, this isn't about you. This is about what God has done. What I want you to focus on is that God has rescued you. What God has rescued you. The same thing for us today. Christ has rescued us through his death and resurrection. But it's so beautiful that God doesn't say, listen, I want you to think I really want you to be sorry and remorseful about your sin. Now, God does want us to seek forgiveness for our sins, and we do need to be remorseful when we wrong God, but that's not what he's drawing attention to. When he says, here's what I want you to teach to every generation every single year. Not that you're sinful people, but that God rescued you out of slavery. Because it's about what God has done for us. It's about what God has done. In everything, all throughout Scripture, if we read this correctly, we'll see that God is the hero, not us. Right? When we think about how the Israelites got out of slavery, they literally did nothing. They did nothing. God rescued them. The same thing is true for us. Without Jesus' work on the cross, we will never be rescued. And it's such an amazing thing that God has done that. So that's one of the things we can draw. Another thing that we need to draw from this, in verse 8, he says, On that day, tell your son. And then again in verse 14, In days to come when your son asks you, What does this mean? So when it says son, it is referring to all of the children that you have. Okay? So here's what we need to understand. The first thing is that as a parent, 
you are primarily responsible for your child's spiritual growth and knowledge. And here's what I mean by that. We cannot make our children accept Christ. I, I know that every parent, if we could somehow make that happen, we would all do whatever it took to make that happen. We can't make that happen. But it is your responsibility as a parent to be the primary person that lets your child know what faith is, what Christ has done, how Jesus has rescued you from slavery. Primarily, that job does not belong to myself as a family pastor or Pastor Kyle as a youth pastor. We are there to supplement what hopefully you are already doing at home. That's the reality. Now, for one reason or another, a lot of us choose not to do that whether it's because we're not intentional, or one thing that I hear a lot from parents is, is I, I don't know what to say. Which brings us back to this part again, just see how beautiful and how simple this is. When God instructs them what to say to their kids, he says, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So two things with that. Number one, first of all, you need to be able to explain the overarching story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's simple, right? God created us to be in a relationship with him. We sinned. That broke that relationship. The only way to get back to that was through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we need Jesus to rescue us, to restore us, right? That's the first thing. You need to be able to communicate that to a five-year-old. The second thing is he says what the Lord did for me, when I came out of Egypt. Even if you don't know much detail about the scripture, if you're a Christian, you know what Jesus has done for you. That is the two things you need to be able to tell the next generation. Number one, what is the big picture gospel that's available to everyone, and what specifically in my life has Christ done for me? Right? This isn't saying that, listen, everybody needs to go to get a seminary degree so that we can explain every single question of theology. God keeps it simple. What has Christ done for the world and what has he done for you? That's, that's, that's what you need to know. Those are things that you need to be able to know and that you need to be able to communicate to the next generation. And now I know there are some of you that are saying, one, either my kids are grown or I don't have kids. Man, have I got something great for you guys. So we have, a, we have a toddler room over here. We have two kids' classrooms in the portables. Every Sunday we have about 40 kids that come to our church, around 40 kids, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. They also need to hear the gospel every single week. If you're looking for a place, right, if you're, you know what, right now, God, I'm involved, but I want to get committed, right? Because if you're involved... And I bring up the idea of, hey, you can serve somewhere. It doesn't have to be kids. Some of you don't want to serve with kids. And if you don't, I don't want you serving with kids. But for those of you that do, let's think about this, right? If you're involved, then if I say, hey, can you serve once a month? If you're involved, you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard for me to commit one month. I mean, one hour out of an entire month. But if you're committed to seeing God's kingdom grow and to seeing his kingdom furthered, your mindset is, how can I help? Whether it be in the kids or whether it be in the greeting or whatever, there are so many ways to get involved here. What can I do to further God's kingdom? That's the level of involvement versus commitment because you're, if you're involved, you know, I, I may do once a month and then a lot of times if you decide, I, maybe, maybe not I'll do once a month, 
Saturday night, you'll be like, you know what? I don't want to do the once a month thing, so I'm just not going to come to church tomorrow. And so if we're committed, we're giving at that time because right, right now there are people that are teaching in the kids' classroom right now. We have two teachers in each classroom. During the week, the ones who are the lead teachers are looking over the lesson. They're spending time in God's Word preparing to share the gospel with the next generation because they need to hear it every week just like we need to hear it every week. They're giving that commitment. And yes, they're inconvenienced by that sometimes. It's a sacrifice for them to give up more time, right? It will be so much easier for some of them to say, you know what, I want to sleep in this morning. So I don't want to come teach kids at 9 o'clock. I want to sleep in. Or, I mean, it's a beautiful day, right? Like, one of the things is, as I was driving in this morning, I was like, man, it would be such a great day to play golf. Like, that was, that, that was one, of, one of my thoughts, right? So what, the teachers could say, listen, it's a great day for a golf game. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to skip out today. And so what happens is if we're involved, then we find reasons to miss church. We find reasons to miss church. If we're committed, then church becomes a reason we miss other things. Think about that. If you're involved, you find a reason to miss church. If you're committed, church is the reason you're willing to miss out on other things. And that's hard to say because in our culture in America, that's not what we want to say. We want to say, you know what? You do your thing. You, you celebrate this individuality, and it doesn't matter about coming together as a group of people and acknowledging that you need Jesus. But it does matter. It matters deeply. And so when we think about what are we doing, how are we passing this on to the next generation, or just the people that you know, it doesn't even have to mean your own kids, the people that you work with, like who are we talking to? Who are we sharing our faith with? You don't have to know everything in the world. But it's important that you know that Christ has died for us. It's important that you know what he has done for you. God has put us here for a reason. Right. We need to be coming together. This isn't, again, it's not a guilt trip. I'm not saying like, hey, you're a bad person, might not come in. Here's what I am saying. The benefit of coming together on a Sunday morning is massive because, again, we're acknowledging that we're not alone, that we're all together in this. We get to spend time together worshiping God and hearing the gospel. Right? This is our time to come together when we get kind of re refueled for the next week. So if you're missing that, if you're missing that, you're missing out on a lot. If we're missing church, if we're committed, then missing a Sunday, even when we have to do it, it's like, man, I can't wait till I get back because I know how much I need to be with other people. So then our question becomes, are, are you involved or are you committed? What does it look like to be involved? What does it look like to be committed? Some of you are not, are not even either one of those things. You're just like, hey, I just showed up here because... You know, I, my spouse made me come or because, you know, my kids like being in the kids' class. I'm just kind of here. Anything that's worth having requires commitment, requires sacrifice, requires you to be inconvenienced. And if you don't believe that, think about what Christ did for us. Think about that. <laughs> There's nothing in your life that you will ever do where you will be as inconvenienced or sacrifice as much as what Jesus has done for us. There's nothing you do that's going to come close to that. Right? Jesus was up with God and said, you know what, everything is great. And so he came down seeing our need. 
I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if, if I'm up there, if I'm in eternity, I, I'm, I'm not wanting to come back down here. He did that, and he lived a perfect life and died the death that we should have died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. That is insane. That's the worst trade in the history of the world. But yet he did that because of his commitment to giving us freedom, to offering us salvation. And so our question for us today is, are, are you involved or are you committed? What does it look like? Are you, if you're not willing to be inconvenienced, if you're not willing to sacrifice, let's be honest, you're not committed. And so if you're not committed, I, you need to have a long, hard conversation with yourself about how real your faith is. And again, I'm not relating faith to church attendance. What I'm saying is, if, is your commitment to Christ or to convenience? Because for a lot of us, a lot of us, one of the things I hear frequently is people say, hey, I want community, I want community. When you dig a little deeper, they don't want community, they want convenience. What's easy? Because to be part of a community like this on Sunday or to be part of a small group community, it is inconvenient, you will have to sacrifice, but what you gain from it is worth everything that you would do. It's worth everything. So for you, you have to make a decision this week. Are you involved or are you committed? And what would that look like in your life? And how can you make those adjustments? We're going to have a time of communion. And one of the things I want to talk about, it's, it's the Passover meal that they have. Communion is our kind of modern-day equivalent of that, right? The time of communion is a time when we remember the work of Christ. We remember his body and his blood, and that's why we take communion. The same thing that was true of this is true of our communion. If you do not have a commitment with Jesus, then communion is not for you. And I know that's, that's, that's harsh to hear, right? Just coming to church on Sunday morning, that doesn't mean you should be taking communion. If you have given your life to Christ and you are in that covenant relationship with Jesus, then please, by all means, come and celebrate that. Right? We do communion. There's this physical thing that, that God puts with all these connections that he has because it's a tangible way for us to remember and for us to realize and for us to celebrate this time. So I'm going to pray and then we're done. I want you to come forward, but I want you to think about this. This is not something to be taken lightly. Right? Just like the way that God said, here's the restrictions for the Passover meal. You can be in it, if you are part of the covenant. The same thing is true in the scriptures for communion. It's for people who have entered that covenant relationship with Jesus. Christ was committed to us. Are we committed to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that you were committed. Lord, I thank you that you were inconvenienced and that you sacrificed. Lord, for the good of the world and for those of us who have placed our faith in you. God, it's amazing that what you did accomplished so much and was so grand, yet become so personal for us. Lord, it's personal, but it's not private, God. We were never meant to do this alone. You know, I just think about even in this story in Exodus, God, when you told people to come together and that they needed to be reminded Lord, they, they didn't have TVs, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have vehicles, God. When we think of 
the limited amount of distractions they had, and yet you still told them of the importance of coming together, God, and we have things pulling at us every single day. And I think it's safe to say it's even more important for us now because so many things are pulling at us. But God, we need you. We need you every single day. No matter how life is going, good or bad, we need you every single day. Lord, and I pray that as we take communion this morning, God, that we will not just see it as a tradition that we can't explain to other people why we do it. Lord, but that we know that coming forward, God, represents your life, your death, your resurrection. And for those of us who have placed our faith in you, it represents our salvation. So God, we thank you and we love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.